This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about compensation. More specifically, we're talking about the ways in which to approach negotiation with an employer. In the past couple of years, much has been made about the so-called great resignation and workers of all ages, demographics, and geography leaving their company for greener pastures in the form of a substantial raise, signing bonus, and maybe even a better equity package. But with all the noise that's been made about the end result, the new job with the better pay and perks, not a lot has been said about exactly how to go about making your demands. And for those who have no intentions to find a new team, but feel that they are certainly being underpaid compared to peers at the same company, it could still be a good time to be talking to a manager about getting to parity. We realize that on this show, we've, we've certainly had our fair share of conversations about the importance of negotiating with your employer, but we haven't spoken as much about how to go about that negotiation. So that's what we'll be discussing today. And although I do consider myself to be a pretty good negotiator, I am by no means an expert, so I decided to call up someone who is and have a conversation. My guest, Kwame Christian, is the founder of the American Negotiation Institute, where he and his team conduct trainings that empower professionals to persuade, lead, and resolve conflict more effectively. Kwame is a TEDx speaker, the host of the Negotiate Anything podcast, as well as the author of the book, Finding Confidence in Conflict. So I have a feeling he'll be a great person to talk to about this very subject. So without further ado, welcome Kwame Christian to the Tech Money Podcast. Hey, Malcolm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I appreciate you agreeing to do this. And I, uh, I, I breezed through your resume pretty quickly in my intro there. What else should I have included? Uh, I'm a family man. So I'm married okay. to a lovely uh, woman named Whitney Christian. I should say Dr. Whitney Christian. And then we have two little ones, Dominic, whose birthday is next week. He's going to be one. And then my first son, Kai, he is six. Awesome, man. I, I'm glad you got those those extra little uh, kudos in there because you never know who's listening to what, when, and, and and all that kind of stuff. So you better you better build up those points. You gotta <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this stuff exactly. lives forever, man. So the kids might even pick it up one day and and, and catch that too. I should also throw in there because this will be relevant at some point to the conversation that you're a professor as well, right? I, I gave the rundown of 
the negotiation institute side, but also you're a professor. Yeah, man. I mean, essentially, I'm a stereotypical Caribbean uh, American, <laughs> you know, so I have way too many jobs. So I have the the director, the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute, building and scaling that company. Um, I'm a professor of law at the Ohio State University, Mort's College of Law, teaching negotiation and mediation advocacy, professor at the um, Otterbein University MBA program, teaching negotiation and communication. And I'm also a uh, a uh, contributor at Forbes of counsel at a law firm. So I do still practice a little bit to keep my skills sharp. Yeah. A, a lot, a lot. That, that's basically <laughs> what you just, a lot. But uh, it, so from my research, right, getting prepared for this episode, it seems like that TEDx talk you gave back in 2017 that I alluded to for a second there has kept you busy to say the least, right? What has that experience Definitely. been like? Yeah, it's been a roller coaster. And so I, I based that move off of a theory of thought leadership. So I said, all right, when I look at the thought leaders that I wanted to emulate career wise, mm-hmm. uh, they have three things in common. So, first, they have a distribution channel that they completely control. So, mm-hmm. for me, that's a podcast. So, we're, I'm the host of the top ranked negotiation podcast in the world and negotiate anything. Mm-hmm. And so, I built that in 2016. And then 2017, I did the TED talk because I said, okay, I can see everybody else who I want to be like. They have this really popular presentation that shows that they can present. Okay, so I'll do mm-hmm. the TED talk. Mm-hmm. And then the, uh, the TED talk, it was tough. It was really tough, but that was the catalyst for the book, which was 2018. And again, I said, the people I want to be like, they're authors. So we have a book. And so that was, those were the three things. And, you know, the book was tough. And so I decided let's do it again. And so I have a second book coming out (laughs) this year called how to have difficult conversations about race. And it's kind of like my kids, you know, the Kai was difficult. And I said, I'm never doing this again. I love Kai to death, but I'm never doing it again. But here I am with my second book and my second baby, you know. Who knows what's next? So you got four babies, basically. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get into the both books, really, in a, in a second. But I, I'll say really quickly to go back to that TEDx talk, and we'll actually put a link to it in the show notes, too, because I, as I watched it and became familiar with you and the, the, the work that you do, it was the story that you told in the very beginning about cereal that brought me into the entire thing that like, I realized like I'm... I'm like kind of laughing because I can identify with this, this story, right? Not a huge cinnamon toast crunch guy, but you know, it's decent. But at the same time, like we can all identify with a story like that, right? Where you're having this negotiation between yourself and and your partner or yourself and a sibling or whatever else that you've got to approach a certain way to get the result that you need. And then learning how to apply that to literally everything else we'll do in life is a really great skill set to have if you're being intentional about it, right? And you may not even realize that all those things are happening simultaneously unless you're a person who has studied negotiation and communication and everything else. And so I, I just, like I said, I, I found it very interesting and enlightening that you, you, you distilled it down to something very simple that we all have experienced, like somebody else eating the last bowl of cereal and you having to navigate those emotions. So anyway, like I said, we'll, we'll put a link to it for sure. in the show notes to make sure people can see what I'm talking about since this is audio, but uh, just know that I, uh, I am a fan, sir. I appreciate it. And and you brought up a really good point because the way that we define negotiation at the American Negotiation Institute is anytime you're in a conversation and somebody in the conversation wants something. Mm-hmm. So it, we're negotiating all the time. And for a lot of people, um, 
it's a revolutionary idea, but they need that trigger to help them to recognize, hey, this is a negotiation. And now you can be more intentional about the way that you have the conversation. Otherwise, we just say this is an annoying conversation with an annoying person and we don't have strategies other than saying what we want to say louder the second time. So I I I think that's a good a good segue into something else I observed that I thought was interesting because I, I mentioned at the top of this that you happen to be a college professor, right? And one of the interesting things I came across while I was prepping for the interview is that you teach a class called How to Be Both Likable and Assertive, which I find interesting, right? Who typically signs up for that class in your experience since you've been teaching it? Yeah, that one is through LinkedIn Learning. And that's, okay. that's, I think it might be one of the most popular courses we have on the platform. And um, what I'm finding is that <laughs> it's a very diverse crowd, Malcolm, okay. Okay. Uh, because ev- everybody is struggling with that to a certain extent. Because one of the things that people struggle with is that fear of having difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And one of the origins of that fear is the fear of rejection, the fear that um, I'm going to offend people, hurt feelings, those type of things. So I'm just not going to risk the relationship. And so I'm not going to solve this problem through conflict resolution. And so people are drawn to that because they understand that they need to be assertive. They need to advocate for themselves. They need to set boundaries, but they, at the same time, but they want to make sure that the relationship is preserved. And so when we, when they take the course and go through it, they realize this can be done. You can Mm -hmm. set those barriers and negotiate for yourself while at the same time, maintaining the relationship. Yeah. I, I am very much in agreement with that. I think we have to have difficult conversations, whether we like it or not. Right. Otherwise, the thing just completely melts down. And then we're looking around going, I don't know why this didn't work out. Right. Like either you willfully have the difficult conversation or you have a much more difficult conversation later once it's all kind of boiled up, but either way, like those are our two options. Right. And so I like you see it as one of those things where any and everybody can, can benefit from it. I thought what you were going to tell me. And the reason I asked the question that way was that it's always the business students who sign up for a course like that, that see it as a skill that they're going to have to have coming out of there, or it's the law students who want to sign up for that course because they see it as, you know, I'm going to have to do a ton of negotiation in the future. And so I better learn how to be likable and assertive at the same time. Yeah, I I think that's one of the things that's been so interesting to me with the American Negotiation Institute is that everybody's struggling with more or less the same thing, just Mm -hmm. applied in in different locations. And so we've been able to service a a wide variety of clients from like the procurement team at at, uh, at Target. So they're negotiating like billions of dollars worth of deals every year. And then Mm -hmm. the leaders at NASA, they're having difficult conversations about negotiating the return to work Mm -hmm. and those type of things. And so everybody's struggling with the same things. And so we're able to take those same fundamentals, bring it to different companies and and help them to solve their particular problems. So on that same note though, right, you mentioned very briefly that you're writing a second book and this one is going to be uh, a little bit more complicated than the first one because you decided to bring race into the conversation, which is always a difficult conversation, right? Having conversation about race among people of the same race is not always easy, right? So talk us through that thought process. What's the, the premise behind the book and what made you decide ultimately to have an even more difficult conversation? 
Yeah, um, I, I don't like to make it easy on myself. Clearly. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, this it's a risky one. It, is, it certainly mm-hmm. is because mm-hmm. it's, it's safer to just stay in the negotiation and conflict resolution world in the business world. But in 2020, we realized that one of the most difficult conversations that we were having or not having um, was the difficult conversation about race. And a lot of in a lot of situations, leaders who never thought of themselves of having to talk about it, they don't want to talk about it. Now they're in a position where they have to. And so we wanted to create a resource for leaders who are in DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're having difficult conversations about race and other sensitive topics. But what we realized is that everybody from one time to another, whether it's with a, you're you're trying to implement a program or you don't agree with a program at work, or you're talking about culture change at work, or you're having a conversation with a family member at Thanksgiving, (laughs) these conversations come up. And I want to make sure that people are able to have a skill set that they can rely on so they can have these conversations and use them as an opportunity to connect and learn from each other instead of using them to hurt each other. Okay. So, Let's turn our attention a little bit more to negotiating with your employer, right? As I teased it in the the intro that the meat of this conversation is is going to be about, what's your number one rule that you recommend people keep in mind whenever negotiating their compensation, if you can even get it to one rule? Oh, it's the, the one rule is easy. Negotiate your compensation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair that, enough. That's that's the rule. That's the rule because that's where most people fail. They don't even take the time to negotiate. They use fear as an excuse to hold Mm -hmm. them back. And fear comes in many different ways. So it might come in the form of procrastination, over-researching, and then like just never getting to the point of of having the conversation. But we really overcomplicate it. We just have to start the conversation. Hmm. That's, That's the first thing. Not at all the answer I thought you would uh, you would give. So, <laughs> so I'm glad I, I asked that one. I, I, so, okay, then let me flip it on its head. Then do you have a golden rule for what not to do when negotiating with an employer? Yeah, I mean, the, the cop-out answer, Malcolm, would be like the golden rule would be, hey, don't forget to negotiate, but I'll, I'll, give, you some, <laughs> I'll give you something a little bit deeper. Um, the, the framework that we use as the, the fundamental for every negotiation, whether it's at work or at home, is called the compassionate curiosity framework. Mm-hmm. So it's three steps. And so step one is acknowledge and validate emotions. Step two is get curious with compassion. And step three is joint problem solving. Mm -hmm. And what you'll see, Malcolm, is that we always want to simplify the process so people will actually take action instead of over-intellectualizing it so they don't take action. And so one of the mistakes that people make is they don't lead with curiosity. They don't ask enough questions. They have these assumptions. They think they already know what the employer wants or doesn't want. And so they operate as if those assumptions are true, Hmm. but they don't take the time to inquire. What concerns do you have? And then acknowledging those concerns. Oh, it makes sense. I can understand why cash flow is a concern for you, right? And now for me now as an employer with employees, I think about negotiation, um, salary negotiation completely differently. I embrace it. I like it. And a lot of times people are afraid to ask because they think I'm annoying my boss. They don't want to hear from me. No, I want to, because I know that if you are negotiating with me, that shows that you're committed. And it also shows that you're going to bring me value because I'm not going to give you more money or flexibility or whatever it is, unless I'm getting something in return. So I know you're going to make my life better and I will make your life better in return. Yeah. I, I, so I, I, 
I think about this from the perspective of the person who is like, I don't want to make any waves. I'm going to have to work with this person once I get there. I'm going to have to look this person in the eyes and maybe I went a little too aggressive. And so I turned them off and ruffled their feathers and whatever. And I think about it two ways. I think one, a place that if you offered me $100,000, say, and I said, I'd really rather have 110 in order to, to come you know, join your operation. And you said, no deal, no deal. I can't do the extra $10,000, no deal. And not only am I not going to do that, I'm actually going to pull the offer altogether. Right. Because that seems to be what people's biggest fear really is. In that mm-hmm. case, they did me a favor because they just showed me that's a place I really don't want to be working anyway. Right. That's a toxic work culture that me negotiating my compensation is a non starter and you're willing to pull the offer all over it. Right. And then, secondly, what are the odds that when I come into the company and I accept the offer and the person who's the hiring manager is my direct supervisor? What are the odds that that person is either going to get promoted sometime soon, take a new job themselves somewhere else sometime soon, or I'm going to get moved out of that person's purview at some point, right? It's fairly substantial, right? The odds that we're not going to be working directly together for the rest of my career is very high. So allowing that one uncomfortable conversation with that one person or couple of people to dictate how much I'm going to make long-term just for the sake of not wanting to ruffle one person's feathers to me is very short-sighted. So I, I, I take your point about the rule being negotiate the compensation is rule number one, just because I, I think longer term, that difficult conversation, that uncomfortable conversation you have to have is so valuable. Yes, exactly. Well said. And the thing is, we have to recognize that every ceiling is a new floor, Hmm. right? So you want to negotiate as hard as you can at the beginning, because that's going to be the baseline for your next negotiation. If you don't negotiate, you're easily missing out on a a million dollars worth of compensation over the duration of your lifetime easily. Mm -hmm. And then when you consider the opportunity cost loss that you could have put that in the market, I mean, it's substantial. And so it's, it's critical that we negotiate. And honestly, Malcolm, if I, especially working at the American Negotiation Institute, if I were to hire, for instance, a salesperson and then they don't negotiate, yeah, then con- I feel I'm like concerned. I made a mistake. Exactly. Yeah. I made a mistake. You know, so this is a showcase of your ability to advocate for yourself because the employer is going to pay attention to that. Hey, this person can be both likable and assertive at the same time <laughs> and advocate respectfully. They will be able to do the same thing on behalf of the company as well. So, okay, let's say we had this conversation so well that we've already convinced everybody listening that the act of negotiating is necessary and they're already bought into that, right? I want to make sure that we we move beyond that at, at a point in this conversation. So, you know, we always tell people to be prepared and have your facts ready before trying to negotiate anything. And especially when it comes to compensation negotiations, but this goes for pretty much everything, right? Know your facts. But But what does that actually mean? What should I have prepared before entering into such a conversation? So here's here's the thing. Um, I'm going to make this super simple. So I have a free gift for everybody. If they go to our website, AmericanNegotiationInstitute.com slash guide, G-U-I-D-E, they can get access to all of our free negotiation guides, one of which is a salary negotiation guide. Okay. So, you know, it, it walks you through step-by-step what you need to do to be adequately prepared. Because even if I walk through what you need to do to be prepared, and I will, don't worry, Malcolm, I will, um, you're going to forget. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so download the guide so you make it foolproof. But you want to make sure you understand what the market looks like. What is the average rate of pay for your like somebody of your stature, your experience, those type of things? That's going to be a big part of it. And then you always want to make sure that you are making a counter that's based on facts. So you want it to be both legitimate and objective. So legitimate, you're citing a source that is respected mm -hmm. by both parties and objective, meaning that I'm not going to Kwame.com that says, hey, Kwame deserves a million dollars. It needs to be from a third party. That That's really it. You have to keep it simple. And it's, it's the, again, one of the problems is people overthink it. No, you have the guide go to the website, download the guide and prepare systematically so you don't forget things to do and then have the conversation. And let me give one last thing. Sure. When it comes to the offer that you are making, it's going to be slightly different negotiating from the inside out versus the outside in. Okay. So if I'm negotiating as a new employee, I've never been in this company. What you do is you hear their offer first and then you counter it. If you're negotiating from the inside out, then you know more about the company and you can feel a little bit more comfortable leading the dance and making an offer yourself. Hmm. Um, and a simple way to counter an initial offer is by doing this. First, state appreciation, mm -hmm. then state the facts, and then ask a question. So Malcolm, I really appreciate the offer. I, I think that we have a great opportunity to work together. Based on my research, somebody given my experience and what the market value is, I should actually be making closer to the one hundred and ten to one hundred and twenty thousand dollar range. What flexibility do you have in your offer that could get us closer to that range? Hmm. That's it. Just three sentences. That's the email. And the thing is, <laughs> like these simple things, you're if you think about your hourly rate and you mm -hmm. get you work there for, let's say five years, you negotiate an extra $10,000 every year. So for about 12 minutes of your time, you make an extra $50,000. I think that's a pretty solid hourly rate of return. I would have to agree. Yeah. When you put it that way, I, I can't really argue with it when you, when you put it in those terms. <laughs> so here's another thing I was thinking about as you were talking, you, you triggered something in my in my brain. And I think this comes from a book that I read that I'm sure you've heard of called Never Split the Difference. And essentially what it made me think about was a part in the book where they mentioned that it's not just you who's uncomfortable in this conversation, right? And so I could be the hiring manager for so-and-so company and have been in that position for 10 years. And I have this conversation all the time. I'm still to some degree uncomfortable having to have this conversation every time it comes up. And so by you putting it in simple terms and being generous about it and, and friendly and all that kind of stuff with the negotiation, it makes me more likely to want to say yes to what you're asking, because I want this to be over as badly as you want this to be over. And so just recognizing that the other person sitting across from you is just as human as you are and has human emotions around the discomfort of uh, negotiating makes it easier to say, let, let me put this out there. We can both get to where we need to get to so we can both get on to happier, friendlier conversation that's going to restore the, the happiness in this, in this engagement we're having now. Absolutely. And yeah, Chris was actually on the Negotiate Anything podcast a, a while back. So yeah, very familiar with his work. And it, it's a really great point. And everybody's going to be somewhat uncomfortable in these mm -hmm. conversations. And so I, I, I think a lot of times we feel the emotion 
but we don't understand what it means. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, the emotions tell us something about ourselves and they are signals, but they are not truth in itself. So mm-hmm. for example, we'll feel uncomfortable, we'll feel fear. And then that fear will cause us to say, I should not have that conversation. Yeah. But that discomfort is really telling us that this is an important conversation that needs to be had. And so a lot of times the the discomfort that we feel, we use it as the signal that we should avoid the conversation. But what it really should show is that it is a signal to have the conversation. And once we start to get a better understanding of what these emotional signals really mean to us, then we're going to start to lean in and have the conversations wholeheartedly. Hmm. Well, so you, you, took me somewhere else when you started making the the distinction between I already have the job and I'm starting a new thing. And so I want to go back to that and focus on the perspective of the person who already has the job, feels like they're being underpaid where they are and and wants to initiate that conversation from the inside. The question that I have though, is let's say I come into my direct manager, raise the idea of, Hey, look, I recognize that other people who recently joined this company are now being paid significantly more than I am, you know, and I'd I'd like to open up the conversation about bringing me up to parity, right? And let's say that the conversation isn't received as well as I had hoped it would. And I can tell that this isn't going uh, to go my way, right? Would it be a good idea to say, let's pause this conversation and actually schedule a follow-up to come back and revisit it? Or would I lose my negotiating leverage, whatever I have in that moment, as soon as I walk out the door? Yeah, great question. And so here's the thing. Yes, we have to understand that power and leverage within these negotiations, they are dynamic, not static. They will shift with time. But at the same time, I want to make sure that people realize that taking the time to have the conversation at the right time Mm -hmm. does not lead to a decrease in leverage, nor does it lead to a decrease in perception. Because I think a lot of people are afraid that they lose face. Mm -hmm. They lose a little bit of respect if they have to take a second and go back. But I want to remember, remind people this simple rule as a, as a father, I know this very, very clearly, (laughs) you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. Once you say certain things, you can't take it back, you know? And so you're going to, if you make a mistake, it could cause some serious problems for you down the road. And so once you get the sense like now is not the right time, then you just turn it into what I call a micro negotiation. Mm -hmm. It's unlikely in these really significant conversations that you're going to get 100% of what you want in one conversation. So I would even go in and and say that my strategy is going to be a three-part strategy. And so I might start part one weeks in advance. <laughs> so I might be priming my manager by asking about my performance and getting them to to say to me, hey, yes, Kwame, you are doing very well. Thank you. Yes, you are exceeding expectations. Thank you. And then I say, okay, thank you for that. This is really helpful. I want to have a meeting with you in the next few weeks to talk about what my future is at the company, building off of that. Mm-hmm. Great. Get their perspective on where they see me going. And then I share my perspective on where I think I should go. Um, and then I let them know, hey, Hey, I'd like to have a conversation about compensation. I think the time is right. And then in the third meeting, which might be a couple weeks later from that meeting, but maybe two months later than the first one, yeah. um, then I make my offer. And so there's no shame in taking a step back and, and pausing the conversation and continuing it at a different time. Sometimes strategically, that's the best thing you can do. 
you, you, you're actually, uh, this is great because you're kind of leading this whole, this, this show. I'm, I'm usually orchestrating and, and leading this dance and I, you do this so often that you're taking us exactly where my brain wants to ask these questions. So I appreciate you making my job easier. Um, but <laughs> as you're talking, you made me think about something else that's sort of a common refrain on this show, which is I have my own opinions about asking for more equity versus more cash as part of that negotiation, not in terms of which one should you ask for, although your thoughts on that are welcome as well. But I mean, should I approach the conversation any differently depending on whether I'm negotiating for more equity in the company versus more salary or bonus? I would say no in terms of the fact that we're going to take the time to download that salary negotiation guide and prepare. (laughs) <laughs> and then we're going to make our offer, those type of things. Like the process is going to be more or less the same. The way you structure the d- agreement will be slightly different. Yeah. And especially when you start to bring in um, equity into mm-hmm. the conversation, it becomes more complex. And that's not a bad thing. It's just a, a statement of reality. And something that helps in negotiation in general is when you give people options. Yep. And that can not only make it easier for people to make decisions, but also give you information in the, in the process. So for example, we want to avoid the paradox of choice. If you give too many options, then people just don't make a decision. So we want to keep it to two or three options, no more than that, never more than that, right? And so I'm going to come up with three packages that are of approximately the same value to me, but they're going to be restructured differently. And I'm not going to say, pick one, which one do you like? Like, which one should we go with? All I will say is, which of these three do you like the most? And that's going to be the starting point of the negotiation. Because in making an option and at the same time, not selecting other ones, they're telling you what is most important to them, what they feel most comfortable with, and those type of things. Mm-hmm. And so you can take that as information that you can use in the subsequent negotiations. That. Sounds uh, very familiar to me from that same book I referenced where the conversation about (laughs) solving the problem for the other side makes it much more likely that you end up with what you're trying to get to, right? Me solving your problem by saying, do we go with option A or B solves your problem in a way because it keeps you from having to figure out what direction to go altogether. And then solves my problem because they kind of net out and get me to the same place either way. So I, I, I take your point. Um, and we've, you know, the whole idea behind this was to to have this conversation about negotiating as far as compensation is concerned. But I want to open this up more broadly because I know you focus in a ton of other areas. Conflict resolution in general is is kind of your jam. Uh, what else? What else gets negotiated with an employer that's not necessarily direct compensation? It's not stock. It's not more salary. It's not more bonus. What else is there on the table that I could use as part of that either or conversation? Yeah. So here's, here's the word to focus on. And the word is value. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. Just focus on value. And so we have to ask the question, what is valuable to me? And then what is valuable to my employer? And so once we start to think about all of the things that are valuable to me and my employer, then I realize, oh, it's more than just salary. It's way more than just equity. There's so much more. So for example, flexibility. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a negotiation we're having at A&I right now. So what percentage of time can be spent working remotely? Mm -hmm. Is that indefinitely? Or do I need to meet certain benchmarks in order to earn that? 
right? So like th- that type of work, what are my hours? What are my expectations? What will I not do? And so I think it's really important for us to get a w- really wide variety of, of potential things that add value. And when it comes to the value discussion, it leads directly into creativity because the more paths to victory we have, the more likely we are to achieve a victory. It's really that simple. And if I can move different levers during these negotiations, not just salary, but also mm-hmm. flexibility, vacation time, um, professional development, all of these things that matter a lot, then it makes it more likely for me to not only get an agreement, but to get an agreement that truly meets my needs. Because for everybody having these negotiations, it's, it's never just about the money. Yeah. And I mean, you touched on something right there for a second, very briefly, the whole conversation about uh, professional development, right? If you are willing to pay to sharpen the iron a little bit more for me, then what you've really done is made it so that as soon as I go finish that other certification or that other degree or whatever the thing is that I'm doing, I'm now that much more attractive to our our, our competition which means you're even more likely now when I approach this compensation conversation to want and have to say yes to my request, which is now higher than it was had you just given me the cash six months ago. So, (laughs) you know, you kind of helped me help myself basically by focusing on the professional development and becoming even more attractive in my field than I was before. Exactly. Yesterday's price is not today's price. Right. 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 So, so when you talk we, about value, like that, that's a whole other value add that goes well beyond 10,000 additional dollars that the IRS is going to take some of and so forth and so on. Exactly. So let's move beyond salary negotiation, compensation negotiation for a second and open this up a little bit more broadly. What would you say people get wrong most often when it comes to negotiating, whether it's compensation or anything else? And so this is one of the beautiful things about being a host of a podcast and speaking selfishly is that I learn just (laughs) as much as as the guests. And so one of my guests recently wrote a book called you are more influential than you think. Mm, And ran as a number of experiments to demonstrate that people anticipate more resistance than they actually get in Mm. these difficult conversations. And so I think one of the things that, that people get wrong is that they don't recognize how likely they are to succeed. Hmm. And I would add on to that. Not only do they not recognize how likely they are to succeed, they don't recognize the variety of ways in which they can succeed, right? (laughs) And so if you think about the conversation we just had about compensation and you made a really great point, it might be a little bit myopic to think about it in terms of, hey, can I get an extra 10K versus, hey, can I get some professional development to make me more dangerous (laughs) in, in general, right? And so we think about the fact that if we are recognizing just how many incredibly diverse paths to victory we have, then again, it shows us that our likelihood of having success is much higher than we think. And even if we don't get a higher salary, even if we don't get more value in some other type of obvious way, if we have the conversation in a way that allows us to strengthen the relationship with the manager, it still puts us in a better position for the future negotiation when they do have more liquidity, for example, to give you more of what you want. Mm -hmm. And so if you are really open-minded 
and creative and opportunistic in the way that you approach these negotiations, there's a way that you can make it so that you never lose regardless of the outcome if you have the right mentality. Hmm. Well said, sir. I, 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 I couldn't say it any better, so I won't. Um, my, uh, my last question to you as we get ready to wrap this up uh, has absolutely nothing to do with negotiation. So you can sit back in your seat and relax a little bit for this one. But let's say for a moment, you never found your passion for negotiation. So you had to occupy your days a different way, but money wasn't a factor in your decision-making at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? Um, I would probably be a therapist. Hmm. That's what okay. I wanted to be at the beginning. I was um, a, my, my degrees in psychology and I always <laughs> wanted to help people. And so then I got into politics because I said, well, this it's just more efficient. If I affect policy, I can help more people than just one. And so that's why I got the uh, law degree and a master of public policy. But I, be, I, as I learned more about politics, Malcolm, I said, I am not doing this to myself. <laughs> <laughs> so, so really negotiation is my conduit back to psychology. And so, because as a recovering people pleaser, I want to help people to feel more empowered to have these difficult conversations because I, I know how it changed my life. Yeah. And so if we have to take away negotiation, then we just take away the fact that I'm using negotiation <laughs> as a tool to get back to psychology. I'll just go straight back to psychology and be a therapist. Makes sense to me. I, I, I appreciate you being so generous with your time and your talents, man. This has been great. Um, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or the American Negotiation Institute after this goes live? Yeah. So if you're interested in coaching, training, or consulting work in the fields of negotiation, conflict resolution, or diversity, equity, and inclusion, we use negotiation as the methodology to solve all of those problems. Um, reach out to us at the American Negotiation Institute.com. I'm very active on LinkedIn, not very many other social media networks, unless you want to see cute pictures of my kids that follow <laughs> me on Instagram. Um, but I would really appreciate support on the book, the second book coming out, how to have difficult conversations about race. Um, the goal is to make our world and our, our workplaces better places to, to live. So any support on that would be helpful. And I know you guys are, are, are doing a bit of a, a pre-sale on the book, so we'll make sure we get a link to that in the show notes as well. But in the meantime, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close this out, sir? I'd be happy to. Uh, gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Kwame, uh, he's asked that question, that last question of every guest pretty much. And it's Malcolm, I'm seeing a pattern. Anybody <laughs> who says anything about therapy or maybe I would do some teaching like you, and that was kind of your answer, they always find a way always find a way to impact people's lives and help them, even though they're not in the field that they maybe said I would do if I wasn't doing this. Interesting observation. Yeah, I just find it fascinating. So Kwame, I thank you so much for all the work that you do to help people help their lives and, and uh, improve everything around them. And Malcolm, same thing with you. So I appreciate you bringing them on the show. And our last thank you, of course, goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money. We'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have. You can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. 
And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge, with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.